Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 450th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're bringing everyone haunted Gettysburg. We had such an amazing trip. Oh, my gosh. We crammed a lot into not even a day and a half, which is basically all we had there. Let me just say, we already have done the Battle of Gettysburg for one of our episodes, and we've also done Gettysburg College. So neither of those are going to be a part of this episode. These are going to be a lot of the other locations in Gettysburg that are haunted because nearly every historic building in Gettysburg is haunted. So this is not going to be an exhaustive list, but it's going to have a ton of highlights in it. We do have a lot to bring to you. Along those lines, we have a little announcement to make for everyone, especially if you're one of our patrons, and maybe this will make you think about becoming a patron. For our executive producers that are at the $5 and above level, Kelly, there are over, I don't know, 350 episodes that you are not a part of. This is true. And some of these locations we covered starting back in 2014, we're coming up on eight years so it's been a long time since we've re-examined some of these places. You know, when people write a book and then they put out a new edition, they do a lot of updates to it. Well, some of these episodes need some updating. The audio sucked in the beginning. We all know that. And so we thought, wouldn't it be fun and interesting to go back and re-examine some of these episodes we've done before, have you as a part of them, have the good audio that we have now, update it, because some of these places we've actually visited too now. And back in the day, we were doing this whole don't tempt the spirits. And now you and I are tempting spirits. <laughs> we're tempting them. So we've been in, investigating. In a, in a very polite and respectful manner. <laughs> yeah. But because we're investigating, we have a whole new way of looking at places and discussing hauntings and what might be causing them and that kind of thing, just based on our own methods. Yes, definitely a different perspective. So these are going to be History Goes Bump Redux episodes, and they're only going to be available over on Patreon. So if you want to get those, $5 and above a month is all we're asking for. And then when you're doing that, you also get all the other bonus episodes we're doing over there. This is just extra stuff. We always try to make sure that our Patreon is one of the best when it comes to rewards out there, and I think it is. So consider giving up your fancy coffee just one day a month and supporting one of your favorite podcasts. And you're also going to get some great stuff 
And we've already recorded the very first episode that's a redux, which is a redux of our first episode, the Ripley's Auditorium. It was a lot of fun. And the reason why we're telling you that is because the Battle of Gettysburg is definitely going to be one of those redux episodes. We're working on doing that one as well. You will get that one now from the perspective of us having been to the battlefield. So expect to see that starting in the feed over at Patreon in September. We'll do at least, we're going to try to do about two a month, which just depends upon what kind of time we have for that kind of thing. Also, you guys have probably noticed I've brought Phantasmal Crime over into the regular feed. Wasn't getting a whole lot of traction on its own. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we just bring it over here? Makes it easier for you guys to listen to it. It's history. It's just got true crime involved in it, too. We're going to try to pop those in every other Tuesday. We'll get back into doing our paranormal conversations as well. We just had a really busy summer here and doing our trip and everything. We kind of put that back on the back burner. But expect to see some more of those coming in the future as well. Before we get into bringing you all of these wonderful haunts in Gettysburg, let's welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Stephen with a PH, Michael, Cecilia, and Patrick. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Naughty. It may seem like we've gone down an oddity rabbit hole of things that glow, but let me tell you about the snailfish. In Greenland's cold waters, there's a fish that has the ability to glow red and green. The snailfish lives in Greenland's deepest depths inside the crevices of icebergs. The ability to glow in Arctic fish is somewhat rare, and in the snailfish's case, it's attributed to antifreeze protein that keeps the snailfish from dying. This fish's specialized adaptations prevent its internal organs from producing ice crystals, allowing it to live in temperatures that would normally cause fish blood to freeze. According to one article, a juvenile snailfish was found to have the highest level of antifreeze proteins ever recorded. Glowing deep-sea creatures are always interesting, but the fact that the snailfish can produce quote-unquote antifreeze qualities certainly is odd. And now, this month in history. In the month of September, on the 2nd, in 1752, the British ended their use of the Julian calendar and switched to the Gregorian calendar. The move did not go well, and it still makes it hard for historians to navigate whether historical records were entered according to the Julian calendar or Gregorian calendar. The Julian calendar was started by Julius Caesar in 45 BC. It follows much of how our calendar is today, but the way that leap years were figured ended up leaving extra dates in some months and pushing seasonal equinoxes to fall too early by nearly a week and a half. It messed up Christian holidays, too, so Pope Gregory XIII authorized a new-style calendar that was eventually named for him. 
In order to facilitate this change, the method of calculating leap years was changed. The beginning of the legal new year was changed from March 25th to January 1st. So the year 1751 was a short year with only 282 days, and 11 days were dropped from September in 1752. This meant that people went to bed on September 2nd and woke up on September 14th. (laughs) I guess I've never heard that. That's a little weird. People felt like they'd been cheated because 11 days just disappeared. And riots ensued as people demanded the missing days back, at least according to urban legend. The town of Gettysburg is centrally located in southern Pennsylvania, and its claim to fame is the three-day battle that took place here in July of 1863 that became the major turning point of the war. Many of the homes, inns, and businesses in town still bear the battle scars of this bloody battle, and nearly every location has some kind of spirit hanging around. We got to spend a couple of days in this historic and quaint town, and we're going to share the haunted locations outside of the battlefield on this episode. Join us for the history and haunts of Gettysburg. The town of Gettysburg was founded in 1786 and named after Samuel Gettys, who was an early settler and owned a tavern that the local militia used for meetings. Samuel had a lot of land after the Revolutionary War, and he eventually sold his land to his son James, who sold it off in parcels. This was the official start of Gettysburg, and James is recognized as the founder. Gettysburg officially became a borough in 1806. James would serve as sheriff for three years and was the first town clerk and treasurer, and in 1815 became Burgess. And for people who don't know, Burgess is basically a mayor. Samuel's brother-in-law, Reynolds Ramsey, was the first Burgess. We actually got to see James' burial plot in the Evergreen Cemetery. He died from typhus, as did many members of his family, leaving his two young sons orphans. This was a really fun discovery, Kelly. We went in there specifically to find Jenny Wade's grave, so we walked right past this one. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Jared points it out saying, hey, is that Mr. Gettys himself? Yeah, he was like, this guy's name is Gettys. Is it named for him? And we we're like, oh, I don't know, because I never thought about what was Gettysburg named for. <laughs> so then we went down that rabbit hole. We did. So we looked it up and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is the founder. So we got a picture of his burial. Gettysburg was a trading hub with all roads and railroads leading to it. And for this very reason, it was the perfect spot for a battle during the Civil War. The Battle of Gettysburg would be fought here from July 1st to 3rd in 1863, with 165,620 troops facing off against each other, headed by Union General George G. Meade and Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Lee had the upper hand at the beginning of the battle, but blunders on the third day led the Confederates into retreat, and this became a Union victory. There were more than 50,000 casualties on that day, and most buildings in the area were quickly turned into field hospitals. 
The battlefield still serves as a reminder today of a dark moment in America's history. The battle would give the small town a spot in infamy. Today, tourists visit from all over the world to experience the deep history here. Many of the locations that stood during the battle still stand today, and many of them are said to be haunted. And a lot of them you can stay overnight in, so if you're into staying in a haunted location, Gettysburg is a hotbed for that. Now, just to give you guys a little bit of information on this city, if you're going to go visiting it, we did not realize that despite it being summer, which you would think is the top season for them, most everything is closed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. <laughs> yes, it is. And so, those were the days we were there. Yeah. So the battlefield is open and their museum and everything. But some of the other museums are closed. A lot of restaurants are closed. The night we got there, I like to look up like a local place to eat. I don't eat at a chain restaurant when I'm on vacation if I can help it. And I'm like looking through and I'm like, closed Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Closed Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Kitchen closes at eight and it was already like seven. So it was kind of hard to even find a place to eat there. I was like, holy cow, I can't believe it. It's August, the beginning of August, and nothing's open during the week. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of shocking. And we didn't see any walking tours going around or anything. No, so we didn't even do a ghost tour while we were there because I don't even think they were available. If you're planning to go to Gettysburg, don't do it on a Tuesday and Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. First up, we have the Balladary Inn. The site where the Balladary Inn stands at 40 Hospital Road had been the George Bushman Farm. The inn was built in 1812 to serve as the home for a tenant farmer. In 1830, the rest of the main house was added. George Bushman's son eventually moved into the home, and during the Battle of Gettysburg, it was used as a field hospital with amputations taking place in the Great Room. Isn't that wonderful? Not exactly how I would imagine a Great Room. No. In 1992, the house was converted into a bed and breakfast. In 2010, Judy and Kenny Caudill bought the property and they have updated the place and continue to run it as a B&B. The main house and carriage house both have rooms for rent, 10 in total. The great room has a great fireplace and opens up onto a large terrace with a hot tub. A traditional country breakfast is offered in the mornings. The inn is said to be haunted not only because it was a field hospital, but because seven Confederate soldiers remain buried beneath some nearby tennis courts. The inn embraces their haunts and even keep a binder full of stories. A guest taking pictures around the inn captured Confederate soldiers in a picture with two of them being seated near some French-style double doors and two standing outside. One of them has what looks like a black armband, perhaps in honor of General Stonewall Jackson. The Marigold Room plays host to a female ghost that usually appears at the foot of the bed. She's fond of jewelry, and one female guest reported that she was participating in some reenactments and it brought vintage jewelry with her to wear. She kept the jewelry in a bag, and when she re-entered her room, she found it laid out neatly on top of the bag. Of course, that's not where she'd had it. The Primrose Room has an amorous male ghost named Jeffrey. He rubs the feet of women, which is fine with me. You want to rub my feet, you can do that all night, and sings in their ears. Eh, sometimes he gets into bed with the guests as well, which is not okay with me. Izachu wrote on TripAdvisor in 2013, I chose the Marigold Room as it attracts ghost hunters often, although the whole property has that potential. I thought I would try it out, and wow, a phantom voice on my recorder, a loud popping sound like a champagne cork, which I didn't hear but was recorded, two knocks that I asked for that I heard, plus recorded, Washroom door closed while I was out and couldn't make it do that myself. There could be more, as I haven't listened to all the recordings. 
EVPs as of yet. I recommend the Baladary Inn and hope to return one day, as it is far away enough from the main part of town, so it's nice and quiet. This place has everything going for it. Couldn't be better. If you're afraid of ghosts, don't worry. Just tell them to stop, and they usually do. The George Weikert House is what we have up next. This is north of Little Round Top. It's one of the houses along the edge of the battlefield that is now owned by the National Park Service. The Weikert family owned four farms in the area, but this one was owned by the patriarch, George. He was born in 1801 and moved to Gettysburg from Maryland in 1838. He purchased the land with the house in 1852. The house started as a one-story, two-bay stone house built on a granite foundation, and that was built in 1798. The gabled roof is covered with wood shingles and has vertical board and batten on the gable ends, and the rest of the house is built from stone. The house was altered in 1880, expanding it into a two-story, two-bay house. When the battle began near the farm, the family left, and the house was strong enough to provide good shelter that the Union quickly commandeered it. When the Weikerts returned, they found their house had been turned into a field hospital with amputated limbs piled up outside and bodies buried nearby. And you're going to hear this story over and over again on this episode. Eventually, the bodies were dug up and relocated, and the parlor rug was found in the mass grave. They decided to line the grave with their parlor rug. I thought, isn't that wonderful for them? At least six men lost their lives in the parlor of the house. Survivors from the New Jersey Brigade bought the farm because they had been successful holding the area, and they put up a monument nearby. The Park Service bought the property, and park rangers used the farm for housing. They are the ones who claim that the house is haunted. A door on the second floor refuses to stay shut, and they've never found an explainable reason why. A frustrated ranger tried nailing the door shut, and he still found it open later. I thought that's a pretty drastic move. Oh my. You must never want to go past that door if you're going to nail it shut. Disembodied footsteps are heard in the house, especially in the attic. Next, we have the Tilly Pierce House Inn, which was built in 1829 and purchased by James and Margaret Pierce in 1847. The Pierce family would hold on to the home for 64 years. The inn is named for Matilda Tilly Pierce, who was the daughter of James and Margaret. She was 15 when the battle started, and her parents sent her to the Jacob Weikert farm, believing she would be safer there. This was at the base of Little Round Top, and Tilly soon found herself providing aid to wounded soldiers. She wrote of her experiences 25 years later in a book titled, At Gettysburg, or What a Girl Saw and Heard of the Battle. She wrote, The whole landscape had been changed, and I felt as though we were in a strange and blighted land. The inn features six rooms, a parlor, sitting room, and Victorian garden. People claim to hear disembodied footsteps walking upstairs, the sound of a soldier pacing up and down the stairs, and beds appear to have something unseen sit upon them. Next, we have a place that I'm sure a lot of the listeners have heard about when it comes to haunts, and that's the Farnsworth House Inn. Sits on land that had been owned by Reverend Alexander Dobbins, and he sold part of the land to John F. McFarlane. The house has a murky background, with McFarland being credited as the first recorded owner of the house, but it's not clear that he built it, nor is it clear when it was built. Most historians believe that the house was built sometime around 1810. McFarland owned it until his death in 1851, and then the Bank of Gettysburg took ownership of the property. During the Civil War, this was another one of those field hospitals, and some Confederates were buried on the property. This was also a stop on the Gettysburg Address campaign. There were other owners through the years, with one of the families being the Black family who opened up the Sleepy Hollow Inn here. And I thought that was interesting because we actually got to see Sleepy Hollow on this trip. 
<laughs> yes, we did. It's a highlight. In 1972, Loring and Jean Schultz bought the inn and offered tours of the house in which they shared stories about paranormal activity. The rooms of this bed and breakfast are filled with antiques. There are 10 rooms to choose from. And then there's the Lee and Mead dining rooms, Sweeney's Tavern, and a beer garden with outside dining. We didn't get a chance to try the food here as the main dining rooms were closed the days we visited. They offer a variety of tours through their Sleepy Hollow Ghost Tours. These include a Civil War era magic show, or a haunted cellar presentation, or Yankee Spirits walking tour, or Creekside Tales, or Confederate Hospital walking ghost tour, or ghost hunts of the place. So needless to say, they have a lot of tours that they offer on their website. Yeah, they cover just about everything you can imagine. And they're on all different kinds of nights and stuff. So you definitely have to go to the website to see if there's one. Some of them are only like twice a month and that kind of thing. Clearly, embracing the paranormal started with the Schultz in the 1970s and continues to today. And there is a lot of activity here. There are several spirits reputed to be here, including a ghost cat. The Schultz family claim that there are at least 16 ghosts. There are claims that there's one room that has been closed off and padlocked because the activity in there had gotten so aggressive. The lock on that door is said to rattle on its own. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's just one of the stories that's out there. A bathroom up in the garret, which is the attic, sometimes plays the scene of a bloody mess. There had been three Confederate sharpshooters up in the attic during the battle that were picking off Union soldiers on Cemetery Hill, and one of them was either seriously wounded or died up in the attic. There are stories that the home was stormed by Union soldiers so they could take out the sharpshooters. The disembodied sobbing of a man is heard sometimes, and if this apparition is seen, he's usually carrying the body of a child wrapped in a quilt. A soldier's spirit is seen in the cellar helping a wounded comrade, and disembodied singing is heard down here as well. The temperature plummets in the cellar unexpectedly. A midwife tucks in guests staying in the Schultz room, and strange sounds are heard in the McFarland room. The spirit of a young boy plays in the house. His name is said to be Jeremy, and he was supposedly struck by a carriage in front of the house. And there's a nose picture here. The scent of cigar smoke. The most haunted room in the inn is the Sarah Black room. Entities have been photographed many times in the windows of this room, and shadow figures are seen in here. Occasionally, the mattress will be depressed by something unseen. A Jew's harp can be heard playing in the attic in the dead of night. The most memorable evening was on a Halloween one year when a local radio station hosted a special from the house. Everybody was dressed in blue and they kept calling the host captain. And before long, many apparitions of soldiers were seen in the house and heard banging around. I don't know if they meant to get the ghosts riled up or not, but they thought, hey, we got a bunch of buddies here. The only malevolent entity of the inn is thought to belong to a female cook who lets her displeasure be known in the kitchen and dining room. Lorraine Saints of Johnstown, Pennsylvania said, I spent a few days in Gettysburg last year and stayed at the Farnsworth house overnight. And upon awakening during the night, I saw a form of a woman standing near the doorway. Oh, how exciting it is to know that you had a ghostly encounter. She's definitely one of our people. I also watched a ghost hunters. They visited the inn in 2014 and two of the teams saw what they claimed was a black mass down in the basement and it kind of looked like it was a child. So they thought maybe it was the shadow of a child that was down there. Also really interesting, Kelly, we're going to talk about the Jenny Wade house, of course, on this episode. I don't know if it was the woman who owns the house or just some other woman they were talking to there, but she said that they had done some research and I thought it was like her father who was in the military or something. He was really familiar with weapons and stuff. 
And based on the position, you have the sharpshooters that would have been up in the attic here. And then where the Jenny Wade house was, they think, based on the distance, that the bullet that probably killed Jenny Wade may have come from the attic of the Farnsworth Inn. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. And now on to the Cashtown Inn. Lorraine Saints had an experience at this next location as well. She said, Returning to the inn around 10 p.m. and while in the parking lot, I heard music and people having a good time in the bar. When I unlocked the door to get into the inn, I saw no one in the bar room and no music was playing. The bar was locked up for the night and no one was in sight. The Cashtown Inn was built in 1797 as the first stagecoach stop west of Gettysburg. This inn was named for the Crossroads Village that was founded here. The name Cashtown was derived from the fact that the first innkeeper, Peter Mark, would only take cash for goods he sold and tolls he charged for using the road. Lieutenant General A.P. Hill used the inn as a headquarters and his troops camped around the place. Hill would launch from this site and when the Confederates retreated, Brigadier General John Imboden made the inn his headquarters and his troops ascended the mountain in the direction of Chambersburg. The cellar was used as a field hospital and amputated limbs covered over the basement windows. By the 1940s, the inn had fallen into disrepair and an owner was considering turning it into low-income apartments. Bud and Carolyn Buckley bought the property and restored it so that it would serve as an inn once again. Jack and Maria Palladino owned it for over two decades after that. The inn has just come under new ownership in 2021 and offers three rooms and three suites for rent. This inn was used during the filming of the movie Gettysburg. There are a variety of experiences that take place here. The main haunt belongs to a Confederate soldier who is seen staring from the upstairs windows. Some guests return to their rooms after a day of sightseeing to find their luggage packed for them. And it isn't the innkeepers providing the unwanted service, especially since they're still planning on staying at the place. That's too funny. Somebody's telling you, get out. In no uncertain terms. Yeah, I packed your stuff. Go. One couple had a terrifying evening. It started with knocking at their door that wouldn't stop. When it finally stopped, they heard disembodied footsteps walking towards their bed, and then those footsteps stopped at the foot of the bed. Then their mattress started to shake, and they described it as ripple, like rippling like a rock thrown into the water. That's bizarre. Yeah. Something unseen grabbed the woman's shoulder. So I don't know if they continued to stay in that room. I don't think they were like some of our listeners who were like, yeah, I saw this thing, and then I went back to sleep. Activity increases at the inn on the anniversary dates of the battle. Many guests claim to have their doors banged on during the night, and lights turn on and off by themselves. Ghost Hunters investigated here during Season 4 in 2008. A TV in a room turned itself on when the crew was setting up cameras in there. Jason felt something sit down next to him on a couch, and the area felt much cooler than the rest of the couch area that he was sitting in. Chris Williams became nauseous while standing in a place where amputations occurred, and she actually ran upstairs and puked. And now we're going to discuss the Leitner Farmhouse B&B. This bed and breakfast is located at 2350 Baltimore Pike and is a federal-style two-story red brick building with blue shutters. This house was built in 1862 by Isaac and Barbara Leitner on 140 acres of farmland. They had bought the land in 1841 and originally built a much smaller house. The new, bigger home reflected the families moving on up the financial standing of the community. We're moving on up. (laughs) 
Isaac had served as sheriff for the county from 1858 to 1861 and lived in the courthouse in downtown Gettysburg during that time. The house was just about done when the battle came to town, and by the evening of July 1st, the Leitner home and barn had become hospitals. Can you imagine just building a brand new house? You haven't even really lived in it yet, and it's about to get destroyed. Yeah. The wounded and dying would be here for three weeks. The house has been restored, preserving the random plank floors, doors, fireplaces, and lead glass windows, and outside by the summer kitchen, guests can still see the squirrel tail oven that the Lightners owned and in which bread was baked for Union soldiers. There are six rooms to choose from for accommodations. I know you love that leaded glass windows. Yes, I do. (laughs) That's one of your favorite things to point out when we go to old houses. Jersey 2 Mateau, that's the username on TripAdvisor, wrote, While they don't really play up that the house is haunted, we really believe it is. We are both awakened at about the same time each night by strange sounds in the hallway. It sounded like someone dragging something heavy across the floor. A body, maybe? Yeesh. Then even more nerve-wracking was the sound of someone trying to get in the room, turning and shaking of our knob. User attack on both sides, and that's a username as well, posted a picture to Pinterest with the following comment. We recently stayed at the Leitner Farmhouse Bed and Breakfast. I snapped shots of the breezeway connecting the main house with the private walnut cottage, which is where we stayed. Later, I noticed something in the foreground standing in front of the window. After enlarging this portion of the picture, I saw what appeared to be a soldier looking into the French doors with a kepi on his head and a small horse or donkey beside him. I can even see the bridle across its muzzle. I posted the picture in our show notes and I will also put something up on Instagram. See what you guys think. It's weird. Again, I blame pareidolia for most of these pictures. Maybe something reflecting in the glass. Just the way the foliage is colored. Next, we have the Hummelbaugh House. The Hummelbaugh Farm is today owned by the National Park Service. It's named for Jacob Hummelbaugh, who was born in 1818. Dates of when he owned the property are unknown. But the house was built in the 1840s and consists of a log structure beneath the shiplap siding. There's a gable roof and an extended part to the back of the house that was added after the war. Jacob was a widower, and his son John was off fighting in the Civil War near Harper's Ferry when his home became a field hospital for the II Corps. Confederate General William Barksdale was treated at the house, and it is there that he died. And a little fun fact, I don't know if it's in the notes here for in the future when we talk about the Jenny Wade house again, but the coffin that was meant for him is what she ends up being buried in. Oh, that's right. This also served as headquarters for Union Cavalry Commander General Alfred Pleasanton from July 4th through July 6th. The farm was very close to some of the heaviest fighting, and perhaps that's why it's haunted today. People definitely believe that General Barksdale haunts the property, along with his dog. The story goes that the general died in front of the house as he called out for water over and over, despite being given water. He was buried quickly on the property, but his wife and dog came to retrieve the body. The dog jumped on top of the grave and had to be dragged away so Barksdale could be disinterred. The dog then jumped back on the grave after the body was removed and he refused to leave, so Barksdale's wife left the dog behind. He refused food and water from anyone and eventually passed away. The general still heard calling out for water, and the dog is heard howling. Next, we have the Daniel Lady Farm. This 146-acre farm on the old Hanover Street was first graced by a log barn. 
This was replaced in 1842 by a German bank-style barn, and it is gorgeous. It's huge. It's wonderful. A fieldstone farmhouse was constructed in 1820. During the Civil War, the farm served as General Edward Johnson's staging area before the Confederate attack on Culp's Hill and then a Confederate field hospital. The Lady family stayed in their house even when it was occupied by the Confederates. Daniel and his wife Rebecca sold the farm in 1867, and they left for another town with their seven children. It's believed they just could not continue to stay in that home after what they'd been through. The Gettysburg Battlefield Preservation Association bought the Daniel Lady farm in 1999 and restored the property. Tours and camping for reenactors are offered. Bloodstains can still be seen on the woodwork throughout the house, and there are even carvings and graffiti that can still be seen in the barn on the beams. So people carve like their names into it and stuff. Cadaver dogs have identified graves on the property. This is a really interesting tidbit that goes with this farm. The Niagara Falls police wanted to prove how well luminol works and how it could detect old blood even. So they come down here to Gettysburg and do some tests at this farm, and they found an area in the parlor where a pile of blood-soaked rags were thrown. I mean, they were able to tell this stuff wow. with their testing. They found evidence of the upper torso of a body upstairs and marks from fingers of men who were propped up against a wall. My gosh. There was more blood and death here than any other location in Gettysburg. So it was a great place for them to come and do their tests, and it, it proved that luminol doesn't matter how many years go by, can still detect that blood. The upstairs of the house is the most active. Soldiers are seen still patrolling the land around the farm. General Isaac Ewell was here for a time with his troops, and people believe he has returned in the afterlife here. And on to the Gettysburg Hotel, which started as a tavern that was built in 1797. This was a much smaller building than the one that is seen here today, in the heart of the historic downtown area. We ate dinner in a restaurant across from the hotel, and it is gorgeous, with a Beaux Arts architectural style. The tavern was built by James Scott and was named Scott's Tavern. A York County sheriff named William McClellan bought the tavern in 1809 and renamed it Indian Queen. By the late 1840s, the tavern was known as McClellan House. The larger structure was completed in 1890 and took on the name Gettysburg Hotel at that time. A few years later, it added luxuries like modern plumbing and electric lights. President Dwight Eisenhower used this location as a temporary White House when he was recovering from a heart attack he had in 1955. By the 1960s, the hotel was closed and transformed into apartments until it was gutted by a fire in 1983. Gettysburg College worked with a historic architectural review board to reopen the hotel. In 2013, it underwent a massive renovation. There are 119 rooms and suites, and this is one of the nicest places to stay in Gettysburg. The hotel offers meeting space and a ballroom in the former Gettysburg National Bank building, dated to 1814, that they acquired under the ownership of Gettysburg College. Baskerville, an international full-service architectural and interior design firm, redesigned the restaurant, leaving the interior with a tavern feel, featuring a large communal table sitting before a grand fireplace. The lounge, named One Lincoln Food and Spirits, Pays tribute to Lincoln being on the penny with a pressed tin copper ceiling and an art piece made up of 100 copper pots of different sizes and styles. So cool. The menu has some of Lincoln's favorite foods such as apples, cheese, and chicken fricassee. The hotel is home to several spirits because it too served as a hospital and these ghosts include a Civil War nurse named Rachel, 
a lady who dances in the center of the ballroom, and a wounded soldier named James Culbertson, who did succumb to his injuries. Rachel has been sighted running down the stairs and also likes to rummage through people's belongings in the drawers of furniture in their rooms. Next, we have the Dobbin House Tavern. Earlier, we had mentioned Reverend Alexander Dobbin. Well, he built the Dobbin House in 1776, and this is the oldest house still standing in Gettysburg. This served not only as his family's home, but he also ran a school from the property. The house became the first stop on the Underground Railroad above the Mason-Dixon line. And like most of the homes in town, it became a field hospital. Today, the Dobbin House is an inn and restaurant. Blue orbs of light are seen. Fires start themselves in the fireplaces. That's weird. (laughs) And disembodied footsteps are heard. One of the most common spirits seen here belongs to a little girl. Patrons of the restaurant, Spring Hill Tavern, claim to see the apparition of this girl in one of the upper windows. Staff and patrons claim to see other spirits as well, including slaves and soldiers and maybe even Reverend Alexander Dobbin. Heather wrote, I used to work there. One day, while a co-worker and I were setting up for a banquet, Tabby said she was going outside to smoke. I said okay and kept getting stuff ready. I heard someone clear as day say my name, Heather. Didn't think anything of it, responded with, yeah. Looked around and no one was there. Went through the dining room and up to the bedroom and still didn't see anyone. Went outside and Tabby was still there. Asked her about it and she said it wasn't her. And Tabby had her own experiences. She said, I remember going up to the bedroom and seeing a little girl out of the corner of my eye. I hated going up there by myself. Trey wrote, I talked to a longtime employee there last year who does janitorial work. He said it was very common to hear footsteps where there was no people or catch a glimpse of people in period wear who disappeared as soon as you adjusted your eyes again. Audrey wrote, About the year 2007, my family ate here for lunch. We sat on a long bench that was back up near a fireplace downstairs. They saw me jump when I felt something touch my back. I thought maybe a big bug, but there was nothing around. To this day, I still wonder if it was a ghost or something like that. And then I have a picture in our show notes. I'll put this up on Instagram as well. Is this a picture of a ghost taken inside there? Kelly, when you look at it, it looks like a woman in a black Victorian morning dress. And a man named Clint wrote of this picture. There's two guys that are sitting at the bar right near where this ghost appears to be. He said, this is me and my buddy at the bar. It was a slow day in there, not many people at all. My buddy kept saying he was feeling cold drafts of air to his left. A little while later, two ladies from out of town said that they got this in one of their pictures. No one was ever in that area while we were there. It's definitely a ghost. Never into the ghost stuff or believed it until that day. Definitely real. So I thought it was really cool because I got this from Facebook. So the woman had posted the picture and was asking people, is this a picture of a ghost? And there were people saying, well, it was probably just a worker walking fast. But the thing is, there's nobody else that's blurred out that much. I mean, it's an amazing photo if it is a ghost. If it's a waitress, she's moving so fast that it's made her very blurred out. Well, and the entire thing is black. Yeah. And to me, it was just cool that this guy's like, I'm one of those guys sitting at the bar with this picture. (laughs) And and... my buddy kept saying he's got cold going on off to his left. So just interesting. So I don't know. We'll see what you guys think. The National Homestead at Gettysburg opened in 1866 to serve as a place for both widows and orphans. The location was chosen at the north foot of Cemetery Hill. 
The facility was under the direction of Dr. John F. Bournes and appeared in a famous photo with, with Ulysses S. Grant in 1867 with the future president posing with boys and girls from the orphanage. The initial headmistress helped the orphanage to prosper, but things changed drastically when Rosa J. Carmichael took over as headmistress. She was cruel and designed the basement to become a dungeon of torture. There are still chains connected to the walls that were used to lock up the children. There was even a place down there called The Pit, where kids were left for days. This is barely big enough for an adult and has no light. Carmichael allowed older kids to discipline the younger ones. There are some who believe that Carmichael killed some of the children. The location is said to be haunted by both some of the children and Carmichael herself. The disembodied voices of children are heard, and people have been touched. Ghost Adventures investigated this location in 2010. The crew heard bangs and disembodied footsteps and captured the following EVPs. You're wonderful. Thank you. After Zach offered some candy. Watch your back with them. After a rock was thrown at Nick. Pass all the Morgans. Referring to silver dollars from the 1880s. Betcha won't untie me. Kill the girl. I never killed again. I want a bowl of money. Ghost hunters investigated this location in 2014. A woman named Alexis told them she had heard an audible male voice tell her to get out now when she looked into the pit. Next, Kelly, is a location that we ventured out to. You had to drive a little ways, especially they were doing some kind of road construction, so we had to take a roundabouty way. We weren't sure we were even going to find it, but this is the Saks Covered Bridge, and my goodness, it is so cool. And our son, Jared, got a magnificent picture of it. I mean, it looks like he's standing in the middle of the water when he captured it that I made it my cover photo on Facebook. I just <laughs> loved it. It's really beautiful. Sachs Covered Bridge was originally spelled as S-A-U-C-H-E-S. Now it's S-A-C-H-S during the Civil War. And it's a truss-covered bridge spanning 100 feet. The style features wooden beams crisscross like a lattice. This was built in 1854 and in 1863 would provide a route for the Union Army to come into Gettysburg. After the battle was concluded, General Lee's Army of Northern Virginia retreated across the bridge. Legend claims that three deserters were hanged at the bridge, but we found no proof of that. Vehicles used the bridge until 1968 when it was closed to vehicular traffic. It was listed on the National Register of Historic Places on August 25, 1980. A flash flood in 1996 knocked the bridge from one of its abutments, and the bridge was restored and rededicated in 1997. And not only is it a really cool-looking bridge, but it's home for bats. We saw some bats up it in it, is. too. They were so cute. <laughs> if you guys uh, are in the Spectacular crew, you might have seen we did a live Facebook video from there while we were there. So you can see the little bats and what the bridge looked like. People believe the Saks-covered bridge is guarded by the spirits of the soldiers who died here while being pursued by the Union. Visitors to the bridge feel uneasy, and some people claim to have seen full-bodied apparitions of soldiers pacing around the bridge. On a summer evening in 2004, a group of investigators saw a strange mist followed by several orange light orbs that appeared to be dancing near the bridge. They heard the sounds of cannons firing and horses as well. This activity continued for nearly 20 minutes and then disappeared. That's amazing. And probably what they were hearing was this reenactment in time of Lee's men trying to get across the bridge and being pursued by Meade, who didn't pursue as hard as he should have, apparently, and so he was fired because they weren't happy with the fact that, I guess, he didn't mow down Lee and everybody as they were running. Later, they saw disembodied spirits that freaked them out a bit. 
but it took the disembodied growling of a male voice to finally chase them off. Virgil commented on the Astonishing Legends blog, I went ghost hunting there a few years ago. I captured, sometime after three in the morning, an apparition of a woman with a long dress from the period and a Union soldier in uniform standing by her side. It's too bad I can't post the picture here. And Zach commented, Anyway, my friend walked across it at night and had a terrifying experience. As he entered the bridge and slowly walked through it, making it to the other end, he heard boards creaking that weren't his own steps. He turned around to see a dark figure standing where he entered the bridge. We set down the EMF there. Didn't get any blips or anything like that. and We didn't catch any EVP while we were hanging out there as well. And then finally, we have the Jenny Wade house. And we actually were able to check this one out. It was opened on the day we were there. So we were very excited. Shocking. It's a cute little house. Yes, it is. Mary Virginia Wade was known as Jenny to her family, although a lot of people, I think there's one thing that she wrote or autographed or something where she wrote her nickname is Jenny, and it was G-I-N-N-I-E. Gotcha. So I don't know exactly where they got Jenny from, if it's Jenny or Jenny, but we're going to go with Jenny because that's what they're calling her, although Jenny makes more sense because her name was Virginia. She was born in 1843 and lived in a home on Breckenridge Street with her mother and two younger brothers, and she worked as a seamstress. And I'm wondering, like, where did they get that Breckenridge name from? Because that was one of my favorite places to go skiing in Colorado. Her father had been locked up at Eastern State Penitentiary. The history on the website says that he was in a mental institution. But when Ghost Adventures went and checked out the house, they were told by the tour guide there, that her father was at Eastern State Penitentiary. So I was like, well, that's not a mental institute. So I'm not sure which of those two things is true, but her father was not at home. Let me just put it that way. Jenny had an older sister, Georgia Anna Wade McClellan, who lived at a home on 548 Baltimore Street. And she was pregnant before the battle came to Gettysburg. She gave birth four days before the battle started. And Jenny, along with her mother and brothers, moved to her sister's house to help out. This is the house now referred to as the Jenny Wade house. So it's named for her, but she never lived there. Jenny was kneading dough in the kitchen around 8 a.m. when a mini ball came through an outer door to the house and through the door of the parlor, which was open to provide extra protection, and hit her just below her left shoulder blade, piercing her heart and killing her instantly. No one knows who fired the shot, but there are many bullet holes on the outside of the house. I believe there's 150 of them. So the house was definitely in the path of fire. And as I said earlier, there is that one woman who believes that the shot might have come from the Farnsworth house. Jenny was only 20 years old, and she was the only civilian to die during the battle. At least she was the only one who was killed as a direct result of the battle. There were other people who had died like having heart attacks because of bombs flying and stuff like that. But she was the only one that was actually, you know, shot and killed during the battle. A shell came through the roof of the house and blew out part of a wall upstairs. Union soldiers came to rescue the rest of the family, and they wanted to get them to the cellar, but they couldn't risk going outside on the side of the house that Georgia lived in, so the soldiers knocked out the rest of the wall upstairs to get the family to the other side of the house. To give you an idea of what this was, this was basically like a duplex. So Georgia lived on one side of it, and then there was a family who was on the other side. And I don't know if each of the houses had their own cellar. I'm thinking they did. So going to the cellar that Georgia lived above was not conducive 
trying to get over to the other one would work out better. So since there was already this hole in the wall, they knocked it out. And to this day, that wall is still missing in the house. They took Jenny's body with them, and they all hid in the cellar together. The story of Jenny only got more tragic. She was engaged to marry Corporal Johnston Jack Skelly, and he was wounded and captured in Winchester shortly before Jenny died. She had no idea. He died in captivity, probably never knowing that she had passed as well. Jenny was quickly buried right outside the house, but in January 1864, her body was relocated to the cemetery of the German Reformed Church on Stratton Street. She was moved a third time to her final resting place at Evergreen Cemetery in Gettysburg, and as I said earlier, we visited that plot. It is memorialized with an eternal American flag, which means it always has a flag flying above it. She is only one of two women given this honor. Betsy Ross is the other. And Kelly, we didn't know this at the time, but after I did some research, I found out that Jack is actually buried near Jenny. So I think he was buried there first, so they put her near wherever he was. Yeah, I'm glad that they're together again. The interesting thing is, though, we don't know for sure that there was any kind of an engagement here. They had been childhood friends, and they only ever found one letter that Jenny wrote to him, and there was nothing romantic in it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't a couple. The Jenny Wade House is now a museum that preserves the house as it was during the battle. The bullet holes are still here, as is the part of the wall knocked out upstairs. The cellar has a recreation of the events with a mannequin under a quilt serving as a stand-in for Jenny. It's just slightly creepy when you're down there. You're like, "Uh, there's something underneath that quilt over there and all I can see is a hand. There are ghost hunts offered here and the haunted reputation is embraced. Ghost Adventures investigated in 2010 and they captured an EVP that very much sounds like a young woman whispering, I'm pregnant. (laughs) That's exactly what it sounded like, too. When asked what she wanted to tell her boyfriend. A legend claims that if a woman places her ring finger in the bullet hole of the outer door, she will soon be proposed to. And people have written letters to the museum claiming that this indeed has happened. Visitors and investigators claim to be scratched, pushed and pinched by something unseen. And Zach even had his butt grabbed. Yeah, he was, I don't know why, but he was crawling on top of the mannequin. He was kind of hovering above it, asking, you know, can I lay down here? And then all of a sudden he jumped up off the bed and was like, whoa. And then he said something just grabbed my butt really hard. Alrighty. So, I don't know if Jenny was getting fresh <laughs> with him or what. Nah. Ghost hunters also visited the house in 2014. A FLIR camera caught a figure walking on the property. They were told by a tour guide that he had seen a male child spirit in the house, and they think he may have come over from the orphanage, which is across the street. Yeah, they couldn't understand why there would be a child spirit here because the child had not died in the house. But that orphanage that we told you about before with the pit and everything is directly across the street. And it used to be this soldier's museum that closed in 2014. So we didn't even notice the place. So I don't even know what it is today. Gettysburg is a wonderful historic town that everyone really needs to visit at least once in their life. The museum does a great job of covering the history before the Civil War started, the various battles highlighting Gettysburg, and the aftermath for both the town and country. Gettysburg is similar to St. Augustine in that one can just feel the spiritual energy all around. Driving through the battlefield at night and seeing the silhouettes of the monuments on the hills is chilling. Driving the battlefield and heading out to Saks Bridge reveals just how much area was covered by the battle and all the intricacies of everything that happened over those faded three days. 
It's not surprising that lots of spiritual residue has led to paranormal activity in this town. Are these locations in Gettysburg haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, Kelly, after doing this research, we know we have got to get back there because most of these locations we never even saw. No, we definitely need quite a bit more time spent there. And you can definitely stay at most of these places. So, you know, one night stay at this inn, next night stay at that inn. You know, stay at a few of them and see what you get if you get any kind of evidence. Have any of you stayed at any of these places and had anything happen? Let us know. We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Kathy wrote us and said, good morning. I got excited when I saw the title Haunted Fayetteville. That's what she's writing in regards to. I'm from Tallahassee and moved back here in 2016, but I lived in Fayetteville from 2003 to 2016. This was before I started listening to paranormal podcasts, so I was unaware of the ghostly history. I've been in the tin roof stamped cafe you talked about. I love that ceiling. I love going downtown, and I know about the Prince Charles Hotel, though I never went in. Speaking of the poor hotel, I have a story about my last job. It shut down in June, but the first owner bought a three-story office building. You can see it at 2750 Chancellorville Boulevard. It's empty now. The state took over the assets to sell since it was property insurance and went insolvent. Many longtime employees believed it was haunted. Some saw a girl in 1800-style clothing in the women's bathroom. Of course. Again. It's always the women's, <laughs> the women's bathroom. bathroom. <laughs> it was decided to name the spirit Lucy. They even saged the place one weekend. There was a string of repair issues blamed on whatever was in there. My belief is that if it was inhabited... It was something never human. This was empty land prior to construction, not a remodeled house. Others swore they watched blinds ripple as if a hand was messing with them. A few weeks before shutdown, I talked with the same HVAC guy who worked in the building for the last owner. Due to the complexity of the system, very few local companies could handle it, so it made sense that he would have been there before. Without any leading questions from me, it was his belief that the building is cursed. All three businesses to have been there have failed. She said no ghost could have accomplished that. I don't know if it's cursed, maybe. He was the one to restart the system when my company bought it. Said it was mega creepy as it had been empty for a few years. And she thinks they're probably going to turn it into apartments or condos. She says, and of course, whoever moves in there is going to get Lucy too. (laughs) Very well, good. So thanks for sharing that, Kathy. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Suzanne Silk for upping her contribution to us. We're going to have to get her a fancier garden crypt. I don't know. What do you think, Mort? What should we do with this thing? I'm going to use lilies. Lots and lots of lilies. All different colors. Even my special black ones that I propagate. Thanks again, Suzanne. We certainly appreciate your support. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.
and it still makes it hard for historians to navigate whether historical records were entered according to the Julian calendar or Greg- or Gregory's calendar. Yeah, why don't we just call it something else? I mean, it was named for Pope Gregory, so... It follows much of how our calendar is today, but the way that leap years were figured were figured. Figured. The town of Gettysburg was founded in 1786 and named after Samuel. Samuel? 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 Samuel. The inn is said to be haunted not only because it was a field hospital, but because. By the 1960s, the hotel was closed and transformed into apartments until it was guttered. Nope. Guttered. It was guttered. <laughs> guttered by a fire. 